Let's pray together. Let the nations praise you. Lord, what a delightful thought that your grand goal is that peoples throughout the whole world would be so blessed by you that they well up with joy to sing praises to you. We thank you. And we pray as we spend a bit of time now in your word that we, um, the peoples, would indeed praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to it. You'll find the passage also in the worship folder that uh, Eric just read out for us so well. Uh, Romans chapter 15 and verses 8 through to 13. The theme this morning is that all peoples may praise him. And that indeed has been the theme of our service as we've considered light, the light of the gospel going to all nations. And the experience that Paul has as his goal for this section of Romans, you will find at the end of the passage. So let me read that out for us again, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's aim, his goal, is that the experience of the Romans would be hope. Now what do you think of when you think of hope? Our family were gathering on New Year's Day and we were thinking ahead and looking back. And when we look back over the previous year, we considered the matters for which we were grateful And each of us mentioned a particular thing that we were pleased had happened over the last year. And then we look forward to the year ahead. And what were our hopes, our dreams? What did we need prayer for? Now, of course, hope is about the future, isn't it? Even if it is experienced in the present too. But it's about looking forward. And yet when we use the word hope, as uh, uh, we so often do these days, we use it with a sense of uncertainty. So in that conversation around uh, the, the dining table, as we look forward to the future, we had certain hopes. But none of us knew for sure that those hopes would take place. How could we? 
And so when we read about hope in the Bible, we tend to think of it in the same way as a wish, a desire, but uncertain. Which is unfortunate because the Bible's view of hope is quite different. You pick that up in the last verse that I just had read out. Hope is connected to the very nature of God. May the God of hope. So this hope is not a wish for something in the future that might or might not take place. This hope is as definite as secure, as powerful as God himself, the God of hope. Now, of course, there is an experiential element to it. May you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we must have that experience But the kind of hope the Bible talks about is the certain, definite plan of God that will, without any shadow of doubt whatsoever, take place. It is not, I hope so. This is my dream. These are my goals. This is what I want to achieve. It is not that. It is the definite, certain Secure, reliable plan of God that will, without any shadow of doubt, certainly take place. And what Paul wants the Romans, the Roman Christians, and therefore us too, as we study this letter of the Romans together, what he wants them and us to have is our hopes, and we all have different dreams and aspirations and all the rest, but our ultimate hope to be in the right place and therefore to be able to navigate all the challenges of this life and this world in such a way that we're not blown off course by every wind of false teaching or every emotional up or down, but we have an anchor in the storm, a hope that is definite and certain and will, without a shadow of doubt, take place. And of course, it is this message that is so lacking today. If you look around the culture today, if you look at what's happening in our society today, we have competing uh, visions of the future of what will take place, science fiction visions of the future, Um, fantastical visions of the future, often dystopian visions of the future that seem very, very depressing. 
sometimes confident visions of the future, sometimes global visions of the future, with a special elite group controlling things behind the scenes, all these different hopes or fears about the future. And so we live in this world where we're not sure about what's going to happen and whether what we want will take place and whether what we want is a good thing if it did take place. And so we grab what we can while we can for what will happen in the future seems to us to be completely uncertain. And yet, Paul says, there is a hope. That is a definite, certain, cosmic, global plan of God that will, without a shadow of doubt, take place. And you can know that and set the course of your life because of it and in that direction. It is this that has given confidence to Christians all down through the years. There's a rather old book now that was uh, written by Mrs. Hudson uh, Taylor about um, a missionary, early missionaries to China. One um, uh, husband and wife had just gone to China in the early 1900s, and at the time there was a, a, a revolution and the Christians were under great threat, and they just had their first child. And both the wife and the husband, they'd managed to give this early new, this new baby off to be taken care of by other Christians. But the wife and the husband were arrested and were soon beheaded. This was her prayer. Lord, I give up all my own possessions and plans. This kind of hope. The uncertain kind, the dreams, the goals, the aspirations, I give that up. All my own desires and hopes. Will you seal me with your Holy Spirit? The power of God to give her the experience of the ultimate hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mrs. Hudson Taylor comments on this. When we consecrate ourselves to God, that is when we fully give ourselves to God, this hope in believing, this trusting, when we consecrate ourselves to God, when we fully give ourselves to God, we think we're making a great sacrifice when really we're only letting go of our little bitsy trinkets. And when our hands are empty, he fills them full of his treasures. Hope. That which will, without a shadow of doubt, certainly, definitely take place. For it is guaranteed by God himself, the God of hope. This is all the blessing that comes from this passage. Let me just walk you through it briefly and then we'll return to where I began at the end. So verse 8 is the cosmic plan. He says there in verse 8, 
If I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. So the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, in particular the promise made to Abraham that God would, through Abraham and God's promise to Abraham, bless all nations. In other words, Paul is saying, this is all confirmed through Christ and the message of Christ as Jew and Gentile together. Let all the nations praise him as Jew and Gentile together. Praise God. Now, it's, it's quite hard to get your mind around the significance of this, and I've been trying all morning, so perhaps at 11 o'clock I'll get it right. Who knows? Maybe. You can tell me afterwards whether I got it right or not. <laughs> but there is in our world various kinds of competing global visions. Okay? There's what you could call the secular global vision which is, if only us poor, unenlightened simpletons would realize that actually we are simply a bundle of genetic impulses and we're really a sort of natural machine, if only we realize this, then everything would be okay. You know, the great proponent of that, he sang a song about it, John Lennon. Imagine all the people living in peace and perfect harmony. Imagine there is no God. It's easy if you can. In other words, if you would only grasp the truth that actually we are simply natural and there is no hope beyond the grave, if we only do that, we'd stop arguing about things. We'd stop fighting about things. We'd get along much better together. We'd have far less racial tensions. One world together on this great hope. That's one very powerful message that is going throughout the world all the time. Completely non-religious in its usual way of describing religion. Of course, there is another message that's very powerful today, which also has a global vision. And that is very deeply religious, and that is Islamic. The global vision of one world through the religion of peace... And there are others as well. And what Paul is saying is, well, God does have a plan for global praise to him. He does have a plan for that. And that plan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of those walking in the land of darkness, a light has shone. That plan is revealed in the baby in the manger in the life and death of Jesus Christ, in the suffering servant. That is the fulfillment of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is all in Christ. And if you believe that, your joy and peace in believing, if you believe that, then you enter into the door. Then you're part of the promise of God for all nations, that all the nations might praise him. That is the great hope for peace. That is what you need to imagine. This hope, this final, certain, definite hope that will come true without a shadow of doubt. That hope. You see, verse 8 has this cosmic plan behind it that if you grasp, 
then you will realize that the other competing plans are of not only less significance, but will not finally give what they promise. Do you see? In other words, we here at Cottage Church, we have a message that isn't simply about gathering together, as beautiful as it is to gather together isn't simply about singing beautiful songs, though it is about singing beautiful songs, isn't simply about singing, hearing a beautiful um, choral piece as we had this morning. It isn't simply about that. It is actually a message from God that all nations might praise him. That's why we do missions. That's why we do evangelism. That's why we gather. We're a part of God's kingdom plan. Now, of course, you're going to say to me, well, how do I enter into that? And that's what Paul does now in the next section. So we have his cosmic plan, verse 8, and then we have verses 9 to 12, a series of quotations. Let me read them out for you. So as it is written, verse 9, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I'll sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And then verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will hope in him. Now, there are many different um, interpretations and views as to why Paul picks these particular quotations from the Old Testament. The most obvious that everyone agrees with is that they are picked because all of them give credence and support to the message that Paul is preaching, which is that all Gentiles would praise God through the atoning work of Christ, the lights, the promises that are confirmed in Christ, who's come a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. And so every single quotation has that aim. I'll praise you among the Gentiles. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all your Gentiles. And then the Gentiles will hope in him. So each of these are to prove to the Jewish members of the congregation that what Paul has been preaching is actually what the Bible has always said. So the Bible, the biblical theology, the Bible has always been about this message of God going to all nations. This has always been the great hope of Isaiah, Moses, David, that all nations would praise him. This is what Israel was always intended to be, a light to the nations. And it is fulfilled in Christ, the Son of God, and the gospel that's going now to all nations. Certainly it's about that. I think there's another component. And it is that they are all songs. Songs. Therefore I will praise you. Verse 9. Verse 10, rejoice. Well, it's a little, uh, you have to go back to Deuteronomy to know this, but this is from the song of Moses. Rejoice. And then verse 7, praise the Lord. And then the Isaiah quotation is in a section that is very much worship orientated. The Gentiles will hope in him. So I think there's another component going on here, which is not only is Paul proving that what he said is what the Old Testament has always said, and therefore God has always been about this plan that will be fulfilled in Christ and is now preached to all nations. That for sure. But also, he's bringing in these particular quotations and this particular selection because they are songs. 
that would have been well known in the synagogue and sung. And he's saying, remember what you used to sing? And one of them is probably a, a very, is a very brief psalm and was probably sung as a sort of perhaps repeated, you know. So this is verse 11. Praise the Lord, you Gentiles. Sing praises to him, all you peoples. I'm going to sing right now. Is that okay, Eric? Praise the Lord. I always felt we should have Eric and Ruth come up again and do let the peoples praise him at this point in the sermon so we can actually enter into the experience of it. There's actually a, a, he's preaching, and then there's a song of response, and then in the end, there's a benediction. This is like a mini worship service. Let the nations praise him. So in other words, having preached that this message is the global hope for the nations, now he wants them to enter into it by experiencing that praise themselves in worship and adoration. We should get H.E. up in the organ and go, let the nations praise him. Yeah. So, so we experience, that's what he's saying. He's saying there's truth, but you know what happens when you sing. You know this truth. You know that Christ is the hope for the nations, not Muhammad. You know that Christ is the hope for nations, not Jean-Paul Sartre or Albert Camus or any of the existentialists. You know that. You know that. The history of uh, those who have committed a life to Christ and the flourishing of the church and the, and the beauty of the gospel, you know that. But then, do you really know it? And then you sing about it. You look around, you see other people singing about it. And you go, yes. Yes. And that's where Paul is driving at with these quotations, I think. Proving that all nations has always been the hope of God and of the Scriptures. This is the biblical theological connection all the time, centered in Christ. And also then getting the congregation who are reading this part of Scripture together, therefore on their feet and saying, praise you, rejoice, and therefore worship God. Well, that's enough of me attempting to sing. So let's go to the benediction, verse 13. A benediction, perhaps. Benediction, of course, is simply, it's a Latin saying that has the meaning, a good saying, a benediction, a good saying, well said. Benediction or a prayer, perhaps, even more. May the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing or as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, the key aspect here is that this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, this hope, not this hope, which is my hopes, my aspirations, what I hope to achieve, maybe, perhaps, if everything goes right, not that hope, but this hope, the God of hope, that which will certainly, without a shadow of doubt, come true, that hope, for us to be overflowing with that hope can only come about by the power of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be human generated, not by the best of preaching, not by the best of singing, cannot be human generated, it must be the personal power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God, by His Spirit, God the Spirit must do that in us if we're to abound in hope. 
Uh, Paul has been quite uh, precise, as you would expect from Paul, about what he means by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's worth us defining what he means by the power of the Holy Spirit by what he has already said. So Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he says this, Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is pouring out God's love into our hearts that we know that God loves us. And then uh, Romans uh, chapter 8, verses uh, 10 and 11, the hope of the resurrection. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. In other words, the Holy Spirit assures us of the coming resurrection, the definite, certain, without a shadow of doubt event that will take place. So his love, the assurance of the resurrection, and then verse 26 and 27, present help in our weakness. This is what it means to be empowered by the Spirit to hope. Verse 26 of chapter 8, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray. You ever been in that sort of situation? What on earth am I going to pray? We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. It's a very mysterious passage, and we've already studied it. You know, four years ago, whenever it was, we were in chapter 8. But, so I don't mean to exposit it again. <laughs> but the prayers of God, God the Spirit, the prayers of God to God alongside us helps us in our weakness. So we have the cosmic plan, we have the worship, the praise, and then we have the benediction, which emphasizes that this abounding hope can only take place, can only be experienced and realized in our own lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. I love how Martin Luther used to put it. He said, if a cross comes to me, that is something negative, some suffering, some difficulty. If a cross comes to me, I am resolved to make the cross but little. In other words, if I'm suffering in some way, I'm resolved to make that but little. But if there is a mercy, to make the mercy great. I don't know what your hopes and your aspirations, your dreams and desires are for this year. And I don't know whether you think any of them will be realized or not. Or perhaps there are some real fears. There are things you're truly worried about. Would you make those things, in the light of this hope, little And enter, as it were, into this grand cosmic plan that can shed light 
even in the darkness. I, uh, I do write a little bit of poetry, I'm afraid, and this may not be very good poetry. But as I was reflecting on it, I wrote this. It's just one stanza. That all the peoples may praise you. That's the goal. You see, that's the great hope. Not just life after death, but that God's cosmic plan of the new heaven and the new earth and all peoples praising him would take place. That all the peoples may praise you. Every tongue and tribe and nation. Therefore, rejoice in you, to God. To God, not just telling each other that, but actually rejoice in you. We're rejoicing in you. Rejoice in you. Every color and race and station. Every class, every tribe, every tongue every nation. Let's pray together. I'm going to pray uh, this prayer for us. May the God of hope fill you. May the God of hope fill you. Lord God of hope, would you fill us May the God of hope fill you, fill us with all joy and peace. Lord, would you fill us with all joy and peace. In believing, Lord, uh, we wish to receive your blessing. We wish to receive um, joy and peace. We trust you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. In order that you may overflow. Lord, would we overflow with hope, abound in hope. Lord, uh, for this, we confess that we need the power of your spirit. So would you do that for us, we ask, Lord. Would we abound in hope by the power of your Holy Spirit? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.